Two far-from-star-crossed lovers learn the errors of making hasty judgments and come to appreciate the difference between superficial and essential. It's a comedy of manners, education, marriage, and money during the Brit British Regency period. I have a strong inkling of what this movie is, I thought but you go might. on. Kay, have you seen Kira Knightley's Pride and Prejudice? I have not. I know you haven't. We're going to watch it right. for next week. Alright, hello and welcome to K Have You Seen? I'm Kari. I'm Kyle. And today we're going to be talking about Pride and Prejudice, the 2005 uh, Kira Knightley version for anyone following along at home who happens to be a fan and knows that there are a million adaptations about this and we will talk about that later. But Kyle, can you start off by giving us kind of a summary of this? Sure. Uh, a wealthy but not wealthy enough family in the English countryside <laughs> intends to marry off at least one of their five daughters uh, to ensure their financial security. Uh, the second oldest daughter cannot stop running into the super rich, super handsome, but brooding and obnoxious guy who uh, apparently does not have a first name. And she oscillates between hating and loving him for about a year before finally deciding that he is the greatest man who ever walked the earth, and they live happily ever after. Oh boy. All right. Can't wait to get into it with you. <laughs> um, yeah, basically. So what IMDb has, um, which I think... He uh, it's somewhere in between the two. This one's not really great either, but uh, sparks fly when spirited Elizabeth Bennett meets single, rich, and proud Mr. Darcy. Also doesn't cite his first name. But Mr. Darcy reluctantly finds himself falling in love with a woman beneath his class. Can each overcome their own pride and prejudice? Hmm. hmm. Do they? We <laughs> shall see. Read on. So, Kyle, mm -hmm. this is, you, we've talked about this before, you're an English major. Correct. You were an English major. Right. You have since moved on. But yes. What is I your... I got the paperwork to, to prove <laughs> yeah, it, but yes. We, you got what you needed and got out. Um, what is your background with this? This is obviously based on a classic novel by Jane yes. Austen from the 1800s. Don't know the year, clearly. 1813 Wow, the there you go. Date. See? This is why you're the English yeah. major. So obviously, you know, it is in the public lexicon. It mm -hmm. is a classic. But what did you really know about it? Did you have you seen any other adaptations? Have you read it? What did you know of the story? So my first exposure to this, I mean, I'm sure I'd heard the title a million times just in passing, but my first like real exposure to this was in ninth grade. Um, it was assigned for my English oh, okay. honors class, and I read the Cliff's Notes instead of reading the book. Uh, sorry, sure. Coach McCauley, my wow. B. I um, think the statute of limitations for that has about passed. Um, <laughs> and I remembered virtually nothing about it because, like I said, I just read the Cliff's Notes. I do know, obviously, Jane Austen is possibly the most famous female author of all time. Um, That's probably true. I, I think uh, sincerely so. Um, I did know that the book has had... Uh, a colossal cult following among girls and women, mostly, um, pretty much since, I don't know, I don't know how popular it was when it first came out, but for, at least in recent memory, mm. uh, at the very least, um, and it basically spawned the modern romantic comedy genre, even more so than, like, the modern, like, romance fiction genre, uh -huh. and I'm sure we'll get into that as well. Yes, we absolutely um, will. I knew that this movie existed. Mm -hmm. I am a big fan of Kira Knightley. Oh, um, okay. I, I really am. I think she's great, and I don't know that there has ever been another actress who seemed more at home in costume dramas. Yes. Um, that yeah. seems to be like 80% of the movies that she has been in. She does have that like very kind of 
Timeless, timey, yeah. Timeless, but also kind of old-timey waifishness about her, perhaps. Yes, yeah. I can see that. But yes, go on. Sure, sure. Um, and I'm also... I don't know a lot about him, and I'm not super familiar with all of his work, but Joe Wright, the director, mm. I, I knew him from Atonement, which is a movie okay. that I don't necessarily like the whole movie, but... Mm-hmm. Another um, Kira Knightley period piece. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Based on a novel. Um, which came out around the same time. It came out either right before or right after this. It was like yes. they're like next door neighbors in the 2007, timeline. I believe. So okay. two, two years apart. Okay, yeah. From what I do know about his work, I really respect it. I think he's an excellent director. Um, now... Based strictly on the fact that you mm-hmm. own a physical copy of this movie. Yes, I own this on DVD. I can infer that it must be one of your all-time favorites. Yes. So we can talk a little bit about my background before we get into your sure. reaction. But um, this, uh, there's a lot I want to say and a lot I want to kind of say later in the episode. This was my introduction, though, to Jane Austen. And I... Loved it. I, I really liked this movie. I saw it in probably middle school. One of my friends had it and we were just at our house, you know, doing the sleepover thing and watched it and I really liked it. It, it was one of those like, you know, enters your, your life at the right time, whatever. But I just have always, I guess, had an affinity for the period drama, especially kind of this era. And this is... Oh my gosh, there's there's so much. There's so much, and I don't want to put things at the wrong Curry place in this overwhelmed. episode. But We've I'm been doing this podcast for like four and a half months, and this is the first time I think I've seen you like overwhelmed by just thinking about a movie. I'm, I'm just trying to organize my thoughts here, because this is actually, as I watched it, a lot of thoughts went through my head, but there's this has a big place in my life, I guess. I love Jane Austen, and like I said, this was kind of a, this was the introduction to Jane Austen for me. And this is actually, so I read Pride and Prejudice after seeing this movie when I was, you know, maybe 13-ish. And then I started buying other of her books. And so Pride and Prejudice isn't even my favorite of her books Mm -hmm. anymore. This may not even be my favorite adaptation of Pride and Prejudice anymore, but it just, it was, it was an entree into something that actually means a lot to me now, because this is my junk food TV. Period dramas, every now and then I will just get into... A, a phase where like I just watch all these and they're very they're very soapy in general they're very romance based it's you know a little silly but they are oh man there's just a lot to talk about it, they just I'll, I'll leave it there for now but okay. they are my junk food tv but so your reaction mm-hmm. I want to try to incorporate this into more of our episodes but I want to guess your reaction okay. first because obviously as I was watching it this time I was thinking about it and I, when when you chose this one, knowing or unknowingly, <laughs> um, I was like, oh my god, Kyle's gonna hate this. Like this is, it's not a lot. Not a lot of straight males enjoy Jane Austen, and it's understandable. I think I think it's incorrect. I think it's based on a surface understanding. But as again, we will get into it. I I thought legitimately you would hate this, and maybe you do. But as I was watching it, I really do think. I think Jane Austen has a very similar sensibility and wit as you do. Your genres of, like, wittiness, I think, actually are very in line. So I thought there might be a chance that you would find the humor in this that's intended, you know? And, um, yeah, maybe. And then also, it's it's a slice of life, and we'll talk about this more, too. But, like, I think it's similar to Goodfellas in that just appreciation of, like, a certain way of living and a certain culture, cultural niche, I guess, very specifically. This one just happens to be kind of 
crystallized in time, whereas that one was just more of a, you know, part of society you don't normally see. But anyway, without much further ado, am I right? Actually, I guessed both, so I'm right either way. But <laughs> tell me what you thought. Um, okay, so first of all, it, it, I feel like much in the same way that our help episode, we had to kind of divide it into, you know, talking about the film itself and talking about the, like, the co- talking about the comedy film and talking about the music video assemblage, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like in this discussion, we also have to kind of make a distinction between, like, when we're talking about the source material, right. the story, Pride and Prejudice, versus the Joe Wright-directed film, Pride and Prejudice, you know? Yeah. Like, they're intertwined extremely tightly, but uh, with that said, as a film... Great. I thought the film is is, is super good. Um, oh. I think that, you know, in terms of taking the existing novel and translating it into a film, it's beautiful to look at. I I love the way that Joe Wright handles a camera in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this particular film is just like case in point, like very subtle things that are not very ostentatious, but... Um, no pun intended, sort of. Um, <laughs> but, you know, not real flashy camera work, but, like, it is complex and precise. Wow. Um, the visuals are amazing. I feel like it really showed off, like, the English countryside oh my gosh. in yeah. a beautiful way that you never really see anywhere else. Half of this movie kind of feels like an ad for tourism to mm-hmm. the UK yeah. because there are just beautiful sweeping lands- landscape shots, which mm-hmm. I like no shade to at all. It's, it's gorgeous. Yeah. It's amazing to watch. Yeah. That, and um, you know, the, the set design is really d- terrific. Like the mm-hmm. costume design is really terrific. Um, it, it, it's, it's a beautiful film just to watch. And it's like one of those movies that I often say, you know, w- I like movies where even if I don't care for the story or the characters or the dialogue or whatever, I can appreciate it if I just turn the sound off and just observed it, like with music playing. This is that kind of movie 100%. Wow. So if you take everything but the pictures no, out, no, no, you no, no. I'm saying like this. even with all those things taken out, I'm not saying okay. that like it would improve the experience. I'm saying that you could still watch this and enjoy it strictly from a 100% visual standpoint. Okay. Does that make Understood. sense? Understood. Yes, yes, okay. yes. So, um, I, I will admit though, still, I don't fully understand the enduring appeal of the story on its own merits, although uh-huh. I respect the novel as like a major, uh, trailblazer in terms of characterization and storytelling, um, and popular fiction. Mm-hmm. And I kind of came to realize that the book is more or less, the book Pride and Prejudice is more or less the Citizen Kane of romance novels. Yes. It's like, it was a game changer that yeah. set the stage for virtually every other book and film in that genre that came afterward. Mm-hmm. So I appreciate it. So if I, if and when I do give criticisms, Understand that I'm not saying that it's a bad story. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it's like a bad, badly written, badly fleshed out. I just don't fully grasp what it is about it that has captured people's imaginations for now over 200 years. Yeah. No, and we'll we'll get into that because I think that is, like you said, like there's this movie and there is the source material and the source material is enduring and we can talk about kind of why, cause I, I have yeah. similar questions, but I, I know why it appeals to me and maybe that's universal, but I, so what you're saying is the film mm-hmm. appealed to you, yes. but maybe the source material, not so much. Correct. I'm kind of surprised by that. Honestly, really? I, as I was watching, there's a lot of kind of capital F film tricks in this. And I thought maybe they would 
bug you uh, and no. then the source material would be more enticing but that's interesting that is because he does a lot of like you know there's a shot where they're dancing in the ballroom and then it it kind of seamlessly everyone in the ballroom disappears so it's just the two of them there's mm-hmm. like a couple of things yeah. like that where it's very like filmic and like well there's also the scene it's a metaphor there's also the scene in the ball like, oh. where like uh when bingley first shows up with mm-hmm. darcy and like everyone goes silent the music goes silent i was like i wrote in my notes western oh yeah that's like the scene where like the badass like, shows ooh, up at the saloon yeah. and like the piano cuts out and everybody gets silent yeah, yeah. um Hey, careful, careful with that Good, the Bad, and the Ugly music, because that's a three and a half hour movie that I want to put on the list, but I'm very Ooh. tightly restricting myself. I'll let you know when I've got three and a half open yeah, hours. Yeah, when, when, when you got a weekend <laughs> at your disposal. Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I don't mind, like, those kind of, as you call them, capital F film moments, mm-hmm. I don't mind that at all. Okay. I especially admire it when it's done in a way that, like, stands out to people like you and me who are a little bit more attuned to those types of detail nuance not even nuances done in a way that stands out to people like you and me mm-hmm. who are attuned to that kind of detail but aren't flashy like look at me moments you uh-huh. know what i mean yeah 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 I, I can follow that and that's it's definitely stuff that like you know having watched this several times at this mm-hmm. point i didn't always catch all of them from the beginning so oh, sure. like, that is but... that is the thing that happens sometimes when it's a movie that you've been familiar with for most of your life mm-hmm. that like you rewatch them and if you they're so you're so familiar with it you're not really paying attention most of the time but then you know for our purposes when we've got a podcast where we talk about movies you watch it <laughs> looking for things and you're like oh man i never noticed that before like, oh my god i have to say something i have to talk about <laughs> something in this podcast what do i notice but yeah. So before we dive into mm-hmm. the full movie, what other movies for anyone who hasn't seen this or has yeah. no familiarity, which I uh, I gotta imagine everyone has some kind of picture in their head of Pride and Prejudice. You've heard the name Mr. Darcy before. Yes. At the very least, Mr. Fitzwilliam Darcy. Just FYI, I don't um, remember that being in the film at all. It but... probably wasn't. <laughs> I, even most of the synopsis, I. I knew that in the back of my mind, but I still Googled it to make sure I wasn't just going to say something. Because there's another Fitzwilliam. There's the colonel. Possibly, his cousin, I believe. Yeah. And I think uh, the bad guy is also maybe Fitzwilliam. But That was like the Steve very... of Napoleonic yeah. era England. Like, exactly. We'll just call him Steve. Steve Darcy. Yeah, Steve Darcy. So anyway, what other movies would you suggest to someone who has never seen this and has no familiarity? Um, I guess that depends on like... I suppose if you... Um, are interested in, like, the romance-romantic comedy connection, you know, a movie like Bridget Jones' Diary would be a good oh, connection okay. because I know that that was heavily influenced by the Austin style. Mm-hmm. Um, also, kind of Cinderella, like, Disney's oh, Cinderella, I feel like, is good because it's, like, the quote-unquote poor girl meets the super-rich, super-handsome, perfect person mm-hmm. and circumstances keep them apart until the very end um, and then it works out. Um, also, the um, I didn't see this, but Austin Land, which, as I recall, is like a movie about a Jane Austen theme park. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe you know that movie. I literally was just talking to one of my best friends from college as I was driving here. Um, and she also loves Jane Austen. And she, I told her, like, first thing I have to say, well, I'll bring this up in a second <laughs> when I give my, rec- my uh, similar movies. But she and I went and saw that in theaters because we both love Jane Austen. And I was like, oh, my God, I just saw an ad for this movie. We have uh-huh. to go see it. And I didn't know anybody else knew that movie. But we had both – she brought it up as we were talking on the phone. And I had totally forgotten about it. But, yeah, it's great. If okay. you're like me and you love this, right. see that movie. But I'm, yeah. I guess I'm not surprised that you know it. But I'm surprised <laughs> that anybody knows it. I know about a lot more movies than I've actually seen. Um, <laughs> oh, same, but same. But, but – um, 
But yeah, and also, as I mentioned before, Atonement, which is Joe Wright's, I guess, follow-up to this. I don't know that he... And Joe Wright teaming up with Keira Knightley again, mm -hmm. um, which has a superb uh, one-shot um, long take uh, on Dunkirk Beach, which if you like Dunkirk, that would also pair well. Yeah. Um, which I was saying from the beginning that Christopher Nolan had a high bar to get over because... Joe Wright had already done Dunkirk in a single shot and nailed it. Wow. Um, and then also the Stanley Kubrick movie Barry Lyndon, which is a period piece. It's, a not, it's another very, like, set in England, um, much more serious and droll and mm. very painterly in style. Um, that, But, it, again, I, I was reminded of that style visually that deals a lot with, like, palatial country estates and, and things like that. Anyway, mm -hmm. depending on what aspect of, of uh, Pride and Prejudice you liked, any one of those might... Make a good uh, pairing. Nice. Well, for me, um, I will suggest if you are the type of person who wants to just launch themselves into a British melodrama romance rabbit hole, some people do that sometimes. <laughs> are you um, going to suggest the nine-part Jane Eyre miniseries? Oh, I mean, yeah. any of Probably not any of the Jane Eyre adaptations. I'm <laughs> sure there's a million, as there are a million Jane Austen adaptations, um, one of which I was going to say, I mean, obviously there's the Colin Firth one, which... Is what I was gonna say as I was talking to my friend. I told her straight up. I was like, "You're gonna, you're gonna be appalled that I'm suggesting the Kira Knightley version instead of the Colin Firth version, which is technically a miniseries, so I don't think it qualifies. But that is kind of the quintessential when people think of Pride and Prejudice adaptations. Colin Firth is that is number one. What did that, that came out like in the '90s, right? Yeah, 1995. So literally right. 10 years before this version. Gotcha. This one obviously has. It's more recent, so I think yeah. maybe our generation knows this version more, but I think among purists, the Colin Firth version All is right. the well, version. Okay. Um, so there's that. Uh, there's Death Comes to Pemberley, which is a spinoff. It's also based on a book that was a spinoff of, obviously, the story. Um, but I watched the... I think it's a miniseries. Maybe Didn't a somebody write... And it was like, good. In like the last 15 years or so, didn't somebody write like a sequel that's supposed to draw together like all, it was like supposed to draw together like all of Jane Austen's story, like oh, novels wow. or something like that. There's I don't been remember. a ton of spin -off. I mean, there's like the... They, Glorified someone, fan fiction, I guess. Yeah, there's a lot of basically fan fiction around, um, especially Pride and Prejudice, all of Jane Austen's. I mean, there's... Mm -hmm. Maybe five or ten years ago, there was the, like, Sense and Sensibility and Sea Monsters and Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, right. like, that kind of fan fiction. There's also, there's a Pride and Prejudice that's written from Mr. Darcy's point of view. There's Death Comes to Pemberley, which is basically That a, sounds like, torturously boring, quite honestly. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe not. I mean, people are into it. I don't know. That always, that always happens with romance books, I feel like. Well, uh, I don't, okay. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to get into that right now. That's fine. <laughs> okay. no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, and then the other one I would suggest, uh, also a miniseries, is North and South. It's kind of a similar... The one with Greg Brady or whoever? No, I'm sorry. No, the... the, the... What? <laughs> Are you talking about the miniseries North and South from like the 80s? Uh, maybe from the 80s. Was it that long ago? Was it like the Civil War miniseries? No. Oops, never it's... mind. No, it's still English. It's like Victorian era miniseries woman moves with her father to i guess the see the british like cultural uh touchstones aren't there for me so like our north and south like you think They're of the south as, yeah. i think they are right like our south is kind of the agricultural more like rednecks i was gonna say, We're salt Atlanta, of the earth, say but whatever and then our north is more of the like industrial thought of high class whatever so i guess it's a woman from the south moving to the yeah because london's in the south okay so okay. she moves there with her father and 
there's a like mill owner and whatever. It's a romance. So it's like the longest ride. Good. Got it. I don't know that one, but maybe. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just spitting out titles that I've heard of and never watched. Sorry. So anyway, here's a give you a picture in your head of similar works. Okay. So yeah. So like we said, this is one of those class. This is probably the classic timeless romance. This is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, number one on the like. If we were to shoot something from every genre into space, this would go in the romance category. Oh, one hundred percent. Digging into this as like why source material wise, why this is lasted as a romance i think we'll get into this but i think it it is kind of in several it checks a lot of boxes but why this is so appealing and so timeless as a romance is because darcy is a stereotypical kind of like a girl wants to have him and lizzie a girl wants to be her you know what i mean like yeah you put yourself in the main character very easily oh that was very apparent by the way want to oh that lizzie both of those both of those factors that you just named i was like no kidding. Yeah. You don't say. From this film or from the source both, material? Okay. Because I do think, I think the film really plays into that. And that's not all it is in the books. But, um, yeah. So I think that's why it kind of lasts as a traditional romance kind of carried through time by straight females who mm-hmm. are playing into that part of the book. What do you... So as a as a man, what's the male perspective on this? I mean, like this is really a romantic fantasy yes. for a stereotypical romantic fantasy for straight women playing out. Is there any aspect of that that appeals to guys? You actually just described it exactly the way that I would have. Oh. Except the interesting thing is that you say it in a favorable way and I say it in kind of like this is not that interesting kind of a way. Oh. So like it does feel very much like wish fulfillment fiction Mm -hmm. from a woman's perspective as you described okay nothing inherently wrong with that i just don't find that particularly interesting like strict wish fulfillment fiction in Mm -hmm. general like i'm not gonna say this is like i mean you've heard the term of mary sue or the male version marty stew or whatever um yeah anyway like the the idea that you know this is about a main character who is great and no one recognizes it and the only reason that things don't go their way is because of circumstances outside of their control yeah and, and basically they end that's up, oh go yeah ahead. no no and, and, go on what were you gonna say and basically you're supposed to be like yeah i'm great and no one realizes precisely it. um so anyway i don't want to go that far that's like that is an existing trope although like i feel like, this is different from that. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the protagonist who is smart and sassy has no discernible flaws of her own in the context of this film uh, and is a magnet for male attention. Like, she, at various points, has, I want to say, at least three different men chasing after her in this film, right? The one who is, the one who is allegedly, like, bookish and unmarriageable and things mm-hmm. like that also, paradoxically, has multiple men just, like, swooning all over her. It doesn't feel true to life. It feels like fantasy fulfillment much more than it is... Like, in its presentation true mm-hmm. to life, like, circumstances true to life, in terms of its long arc, mm-hmm. does not feel true to life. Gotcha. I think it is interesting, and it may be a flaw of of the story, or of possibly of this adaptation, but, like, the whole point, the whole... The title, literally, mm-hmm. is about how they are both flawed they're both flawed people and that's kind of what keeps them apart for most of the story 
I do think I, I think Lizzie Bennet is kind of supposed to be flawless. Darcy is less flawless, but you realize that he actually is flawless. Yeah, that's the weird thing. It's like they they set him up to be this flawed person, but in the end, it's like, oh no, he's just perfect. He's actually perfect. He's you just, just didn't understand. He's rich, handsome, it. and selfless. Stop it. Get he out of here. He was misunderstood this whole time. Of course yeah, he was. So that's fair. And also, in a I weird way, say, I might make that. Uh-huh. I might make say that like Bride of Frankenstein might be a good in, uh, connection to this wow. film in that way. But anyway, go on. Really? Like, because they're made for each other? Or like, what is... No, I... Okay, all right, all right. Um, also, the bookish cousin, he, she was actually his second choice. He was not after her. He just was looking for a wife. He wanted Jane first. Because Jane is... That's... You're supposed... Jane is kind of supposed to be the flawless one. And yes. Bingley is supposed to be the flawless one. Right. Darcy right. and Lizzie are supposed to be the, like... They're too smart for their own good. They're, like, not here to make people happy and to preserve people's feelings but they're perfect for each other and but it is still very much a like yeah i i think this might be the original well, mary sue yeah i mean sort of i mean i will say this like lizzie at the very least is like willing to play ball you mm-hmm. know in terms of social settings like she knows how to like act like people expect her to act yeah and she does so um in most occasions even though like it, and that's part of the, what I would say, like, makes it more, um, I don't know. It's like, she plays the game in the way that she is expected to play the game up to a certain point. Mm-hmm. That certain point is when Collins, who, by the way, I feel like it was a major cheat in the film. My biggest gripe about the film version mm-hmm. is that they, I felt like it was a cheat to make him such a doofus in this film. He yeah. is cartoonishly unappealing. Right. I do. I think that's the film because that those sequences specifically were the moments where I felt like they were they were updating things to make it clear what was happening. When you were reading the book, I think it would be really hard to translate for the audience they were going for, which was, you know, Hollywood blockbuster romance audiences. His whole his whole thing is like the pinnacle of the comedy of manners. This is all a right. comedy of manners, yeah, but like yeah. the comedy entirely comes from how he does not get what is going on. And that's a little hard to read in the context of the book, which was actually written in 1813 right. and I believe set in 1813. Mm-hmm. So, you know, their manners are very different than our manners. Right. So I think they had trouble translating kind of the old timey comedy with how it's going to be funny today without making it total i think i think there were some issues with translation there yeah i think that's a possibility and i i I don't know i just thought like they made him so much shorter than everybody else and like constantly trying to get people's attention and hold other people's attention they gave a mullet for god's sakes like what was that all about i don't know that seemed like something that i don't know that seemed like an old-timey haircut uh, except nobody else had that haircut. Everybody else was like, everybody else had like a good haircut. <laughs> yeah, the hairstyles, I was like, all right, not true to the time, but that's fine. I'm well, whether they were or not, they were like not goofy. Yeah. Um, And they decided to give this, like, I don't know. I, I felt like, like I said, making him unappealing, fine. Mm, I felt like they made him like, too much of a cartoon character for the, uh, okay. he didn't fit in this movie gotcha um so that's more of a gripe on like the film more than the story mm. um but regardless the thing that like stands out is like h- how many films and and well eventually films but like i assume novels as well after uh pride and prejudice followed the same formula mm-hmm. and yet the original is still so popular yeah that's i was thinking about that a lot too actually i was kind of thinking about 
Shakespeare and she's the man specifically, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Shakespeare has been adapted a million times. Mm-hmm. Like you can find a literal Shakespeare story in so many things yes. today. Like yep. recognizably like, oh, that's clear. You know, like we said, 10 things I hate about you. Yep. She's the man. Motocrossed. Other <laughs> ones that are more popular. But, um, you know, Romeo and Juliet has been made literally that way mm-hmm. several times over. But then there's also spinoffs that are clearly Romeo and Juliet. Yes. Literally, not just inspired by, they are Romeo and Juliet, but they are not titled that. They are not technically... They're titled Nomeo and Juliet. I was thinking that one, and I wasn't going to say it out loud because it was too on brand, but I (laughs) am glad you did. Um, By on brand, you mean movies for children. Movies for children, which Kari loves. (laughs) Whatever. I'm going to lean into it. It's fine. So there's that, but Jane Austen really doesn't have the same thing. Like, Pride and Prejudice is not remade in the same way that Shakespeare is. But I do think, but as I was just thinking about it, I think the love-hate thing really came from this. I think that the difference, though, between adapting, specifically Pride and Prejudice, and adapting any Shakespeare play is that when you adapt a Shakespeare play, they are so complex, for the most part. Mm. They are so complex that it anybody who is familiar with the Shakespeare play you were adapting will instantly pick it up. Mm. Whereas I think you can imitate Pride and Prejudice and not even know it. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Because it's sure. like, it's the actual story, like the plot of events gets very complicated. Yeah. But the actual crux of the story is so simple. Two people find each other attractive, are repelled from each other because they're not good at communicating, mm-hmm. and they crisscross paths over however long a period of time until finally they are on the same page for whatever reason, mm-hmm. and they come to realize that the other is exactly the perfect person for them. Okay, so it's... that. I mean, that is that is the core right. of this story. And that's a very uh, easily applicable storyline for just about any kind of story. Like, mm-hmm. I would even argue that this more or less spawned what we now call the buddy cop genre. Oh. Where it's like two people who don't get along when they first... Uh, uh, encounter each other but by being forced to be around each other for a long period of time they come to respect each other and become friends right I will totally let Jane Austen take credit for that like give it to her I think she deserves it I 100% think she deserves it Um, but I mean what you're saying about like the plot being so easy to essentialize I think Shakespeare is a lot of that too like Romeo and Juliet Two kids fall in love. They're from families that are feuding. They that is try why, all kinds of ways to be together, and then it ends tragically. That's why I made the caveat that most of his stories, like Hamlet, not as much. Like, even The Lion King, which is a direct Hamlet adaptation, right. is fairly complex in its actual, like, story, though. Yeah. More or less. I mean, so, kid thinks his, dad, his uncle killed his dad to marry his mom to become the king. Must prove it. Yeah, that's... Pretty specific. Like, if you were to adapt that in any other format, it would be a very obvious connection. Sure. Okay. Okay. I think I get what you're saying. Yeah. Like, um, like, it's easy to kind of take that and apply it to other contexts besides necessarily, like, a romance or Shakespeare storylines are more specific okay. than this Pride and Prejudice storyline. I will give you that. That's all I meant by that. Mm-hmm. Um course i'm not a huge shakespeare fan either so there is that also i'm not even taking taking fandom out of it right, 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 right. but yeah i, I get why yeah. those things would be different so yeah. giving her credit for these kind of 
I guess even outside of the romantic tropes. That's really interesting, the buddy comedy stuff. Yeah, I mean, the uh, I, I feel like her style mm-hmm. is as influential as her actual stories. Oh, like, absolutely. Just like the idea of examining you know, with frank detail mm-hmm. um, the silliness of the way people behave. Yeah. Maybe this is a good time to talk about why we think this has lasted. Because for me, that is what I really loved about, what I still love about Jane Austen novels is... You know, I got into it because this was a great, this movie was great. And the romance is always like, it's enticing. It's popcorn. It's it's fun to just read and watch and get swept up in. But her books are very, and her stories are so, it gets back to that kind of slice of life anthropological. She's such a good study of character and how people behave mm-hmm. and, and really their motivations. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like, that's what's always appealed to me. That's why I think I go back over and over again to it because it's just, she is so good and it's so, it lasts. Like it, you can see truth in it in the way people behave today mm-hmm. because there's just, the motivations are always going to be the same. The way people behave, the, she's really interested in kind of the silliness of people. Yeah. Like the, the way people try to get what they want in ways that are kind of illogical and ridiculous. Yeah. And that's funny and that still happens. So yeah. I think that's part of, she's just like, she gets human nature in a way that is completely unique yeah and i i agree with that and i think that that was one of the strengths of the film is that it does a great job of translating that in a way mm-hmm. that like i mean for one thing the dialogue I, again don't quote me on this because mm-hmm. i wasn't even supposed to read this book more less than more a decade ago mm-hmm. but like it felt like all the dialogue in the film could have been lifted straight off the page of the book mm-hmm. um which if you told me that it was i wouldn't be surprised um However, I think the film does a great job of bridging that early 19th century um, uh, sensibility into a way that is accessible to 21st century audiences Mm -hmm. in a lot of scenes, especially like the family dynamics Mm -hmm. of like all of these, all of these girls and their parents have like a relationship that is very accessible. It's very relatable, especially, um like Lizzie's relationship with her mother, there's like the one scene where she finally says, just leave me alone for once in your life. God! (laughs) And runs up the stairs. I was like, yeah, that exact scene has played out in a thousand, like, teenager movies. Oh, yeah. Like, it's just like, it's it's something that's like essential to Hollywood's idea of the teenage experience. I never personally did that, but I'm sure that that's like true to life for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, And then like the, you know, it's a little bit of a cliche to have like the, you know, uh, nagging mother and the sensible, long-suffering dad. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like Jane Austen may have established that yeah. cliche in popular fiction. Um, and so, again, I can't like hold that against the story mm-hmm. or the film, for that matter, since it's an adaptation of the story. But it's like a lot of this stuff is accessible, mm-hmm. and the film does a great job of reflecting that and, and acknowledging that it's that accessible. And I think the scene in mm-hmm. particular that made that stand out the most to me was the part where um the mother and all of the daughters are in like the living room <gasps> lounging around uh-huh. and then they realize that Bingley is going to show oh. up and like mom is like oh we got to get Clean yourself up, get ready, yeah. go, get ready, get up, go, no, to move there, do this, do like that. throwing things across the room to hide them and clean them. I was hoping you were going to bring up the scene. Oh, yeah, yeah. If the she had a vac- if, 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 if vacuum cleaners existed in 1813, <laughs> she would have been vacuuming the floor furiously. Yeah, um, but then, of course, when they walk in the room, everyone is sitting flawless. down like they've been sitting there for hours. And they stand it up is... in perfect unison. Yeah. It, that was a beauty of a oh. shot. But I was like, 
Yeah, this is a situation for sure. We got company coming over. There's like a viral video of like this guy imitating the mom. Like, oh my god, that is one of my favorite videos. Gotta clean the house now, 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 people. I want this place looking like Disney on ice in one minute. Harry, if you haven't made your bed, throw it away. It's too late to make it now. Company is coming. Get rid of the couches. I thought of that as soon as the scene like started yeah. to kick into action because we it's need like, she seashells on all the doorknobs. Yeah, exactly. If you haven't made your bed, so just throw them away. We can't have people know we wear clothes. Yeah. That was just one of the things where it's like this film. It it, it re perfectly reflects the more things change, the more things stay the same. Mm -hmm. And that was just one of the many ways where the story does remain still relevant in its details. Like that's the thing. It's like I don't necessarily buy into like the romance story, but the, in the details, this is that it's so perfectly illustrates how some things just never change. Yeah. And I think this, the movie, you know, talking about the movie specifically, right. um, it does a good job making it accessible to mm -hmm. audiences today, highlighting those moments that are like, this works because that's how it was at the time. Sure. I think it does a really good job translating those. Mm -hmm. And then also playing into enough of the stuff that we actually would recognize. Those moments of like, you know, there's a couple of pretty turnkey scenes expositionally where um lizzie and jane are like just laying down about to go to bed omg very, you like him it's literally like a sleepover moment yes. and i think any girl can kind of recognize that as like oh okay the kind of pillow talk of like oh but like did you notice what this guy did Ooh, like i he totally likes you and they're like no he doesn't like that's totally funny i thought one that was pretty funny and fairly modern feeling was when um uh the cousin, Mr. Collins, asks to be alone with Lizzie and everybody knows it's to propose. Yes. And so everyone starts clearing out the room and her mom's like, everybody, get out, get out. Like, let them have the room. And Lizzie's just kind of she's begging like, everyone she's begging to stay. everybody not to go. <laughs> and then her dad is about to walk out and she makes eye contact. And she's like, dad, please stay. Don't, Don't go. go. And it's it just, it feels pretty modern. I'm not sure that actually happens in the book, but it is so funny. And it really works with like, translating like right that was a perfect marriage of like traditional practices in the sense of like can i talk to lizzie alone please yeah and more modern like reaction to that type of situation yes. without seeming anachronist like that's the thing it's like you're right it does update a lot of the 200 year old sensibilities to mm -hmm. be more modernized but mm -hmm. it never feels anachronistic nothing yeah. ever feels out of place in the chronology, you know right. what I mean? Like, it, it all fits. And it does a good job of kind of hanging a lampshade on the stuff that is kind of of its time that wouldn't necessarily translate out. Like, one moment that is added for the film, obviously, because there wouldn't be a good way to do this for the book, is um, when Darcy helps Lizzie into the carriage, mm -hmm. and then it cuts to a close-up of his hand, yes. and his hand kind of, like, flexes. I wrote tingling. the exact same thing. That is one of the most romantic shots I've ever seen, but it's... It's completely filmic, obviously. There's yeah. not a good way to write that in a novel. But it does kind of highlight the, like, this is the one time it's acceptable for these people to touch. To make physical contact at yeah. all, yeah. Yeah, so it's... I do think it translated it pretty well. Yeah. There are also, like, you know, again, with the filmic nature of it. You know, I talked earlier about, like, some of the camera work. And, yeah, there were some pretty cool steady cam shots where, like, the camera flows through, like, the mm -hmm. house and things like that. I love those. But yeah. then there are also some moments where, like very quiet scenes where like you'd have a very like noticeable like push in to like Lizzie's face for example yeah. to like indicate like 
this is an oh shit moment, you know, <laughs> for, for her. <laughs> a like, Jim Halpert type push in on the Yeah, rack. where like she's just like, her face just drops and like the camera just like pushes in on. Yeah. Like, that happens several times in this movie. Yeah. And it never feels like forced. It never feels like flashy. It's just mm-hmm. like, it just, it works. Like yeah. it, it is, it, its intention is very clear and it just, it just functions really well. Yeah. I do think um, Joe Wright does a really good job of, of translating emotion into film without making it completely expositional. Mm-hmm. There are a lot, there's um, one scene where it's just, you just see Lizzie's face. She's like looking in a mirror and you're basically, the camera is the mirror. Yes. And the light goes from day to night. So you know yeah. she's been there a long time. And it's right after the first time Darcy proposes. So, but you get the feeling of like, She's just learned something about herself that maybe is really hard to know and high, mm-hmm. hard to digest and is... Oh, yeah. She's literally seeing herself probably for the first time as an adult. Yeah. You know? And also, like, it's like that feeling of when someone tells you something about yourself and you know it's true, but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily something you've ever really delved into before right. or wanted to. It's not... Or hope nobody else noticed. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, you really... You feel that in that shot and then... But without being like, without her having to say it to anybody or being totally ham fisted mm-hmm. with how we're gonna like show her emotions. One of the most ostentatious shots, again, no pun intended, was mm. that um, <laughs> the scene intended where I know, I know, where uh, where Lizzie goes to visit her sister. Which, by the way, when J- Jane, the oldest, Jane, yeah. when she visits uh, Gone Girl, when she goes to visit yes. um, uh, Bingley, and uh-huh. it's like in the rain, her mom makes her oh. go on horseback. Yeah. She goes in the rain and she sends the letter back saying, I've got a very bad cold. When the mom said, Nobody ever died from a cold, I was like, A, yes, they do. B, she's dead. She wasn't dead, like it obviously. Was, oh, yeah. But I really thought, because I didn't remember what happened yes, in the book, I was no. like, Oh, yeah, she's gonna die. Oh, God. Um, no. But that didn't happen. Anyway, yeah. but when but 1813, Jane, don't people die of colds like all the time? People died of like paper cuts in 1813. <laughs> Um, there were no doctors. They didn't exist. Or they did. They take like the a, they take a month to get there. Yeah. Um oh, but anyhow, the um the scene where uh Lizzie is in Bingley's house and it's like the scene with uh Lizzie and Bingley and Darcy and Caroline. Yes. And they're oh, walking great, around the room. Oh, literally just making laps around the room uh-huh. for no real reason and Darcy calls him out on it. One of I two thought reasons, that was funny. actually. It's refreshing, is it not? After sitting so long in one attitude. And it is a small kind of accomplishment, I suppose. Will you not join us, Mr. Darcy? You can only have two motives, Caroline, and I would interfere with either. What can he mean? Our surest way of disappointing him will be to ask him nothing about it. But do tell us, Mr. Darcy. Either you are in each other's confidence and you have secret affairs to discuss, or you are conscious that your figures appear to the greatest advantage by walking. If the first, I should get in your way. If the second, I can admire you much better from here. Shocking. <laughs> How shall we punish him for such a speech? You could always laugh at him. Oh, no. Mr. Darcy is not to be teased. But then also that scene ends with a really cool shot that was also very flashy, mm. where you see Darcy, I think, in the foreground, um. and then in the background you've got... Caroline in red yes. and Jane in very light gray slash white mm-hmm. standing on either side of Darcy's head like the angel and devil on his shoulders. Oh, interesting. Which looked really cool. Yeah. But it was also like, I was like, okay, nobody likes to show off. 
Uh, yeah, no. Joe Wright, I get what you're doing here, and I like it, but nobody likes to show that's off. That's the capital F film stuff that I really thought was going to get to you, but only occasionally, I guess. But <laughs> And that's interesting you read it that way. I didn't think about the angel and devil. That's That's clever. I thought of it more as like, you know, there's kind of this red, very... What's another word for ostentatious? Now it's just Flashy. in my bread. Flashy. Yeah. Yes. Very, you know, it's of his kind, this kind of woman who's peacocking for him. Demonstrative. And then, yes. And then there's Lizzie, who's much more demure, much more humble, in at least in like, you know, her, mm-hmm. her upbringing, her class. And they are crossing literally behind him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's, it's definitely, there's definitely some symbology there. Where do I recognize Caroline from? I know she's been in other stuff. I just can't pick, I can't um, place her. The one that I think of, oh, uh, have you seen Flight with Denzel Washington? Mm-mm. She was the love interest. Um, there's a movie about the Erasmus program, the program where EU college kids can mm-hmm. basically study abroad in other universities in other okay. EU countries. Um, she was in that. Huh. Uh, shoot, she's in a bunch of stuff. She's like, she's one of... She may not be a full that girl actress, but she's she's up there. She's been gotcha. in a lot of stuff. Kelly Riley. Oh, Sherlock Holmes. She was, uh, that was Watson's. It. Guarantee that's it. Yeah, yep, Watson's yep, yep, uh, fiance. Yep. Those are good movies. I like those. I really enjoyed those. Sherlock Holmes is another one that like I just devoured when I was a kid. Oh, I really, really okay. liked British literature. All right. Any other thoughts any other moments that stood out to you i mean just you know we talked about like just it's a feast for the eyeballs honestly this whole movie is and so like there's a lot of like the whole movie from start to finish it just it's great in the way that it uses every tool really at their disposal but in a way that doesn't feel like uh i don't know it's not in your face about anything really Mm. but it shows you know this I'm still not quite tracking like how poor this family was because like they're poor enough that all the paint on their house is peeling but not poor enough that they can't afford like kitchen staff and wait staff and carriage driver and things like that priorities guys Donald Sutherland is not good with his money (laughs) I think it's partially a like a class thing and then there's like the ranking thing I think has to do with it because you know like British aristocracy Mm -hmm. like you can be poor but still an aristocrat like I suppose stuff like I I think yeah the some of the British classism is is a little confusing but yeah I don't I don't fully understand (laughs) they have property but I guess it's just not worth a lot I don't know something like that now one thing you asked me also was does the story hold up Mm -hmm. story yes Mm -hmm. but I'm still unclear about why so many women and girls are drawn to this story. Mm. What makes it such a long-standing cultural touchstone? Not just because of its influence, but this specific story. Uh-huh. And also, what is so appealing about this Darcy guy? He is a drip. <laughs> you find out eventually that he has a reason for being a drip. Uh-huh. But he's a drip. Okay, yep. And Let's fact, go there. And in fact, in <laughs> fact... There is that one part where um, they're at the first ball where, like, Darcy and Lizzie first meet. Mm-hmm. And she and Jane, I guess, are hiding under the bleachers. And they overhear Darcy mm-hmm. say, like, Darcy and Bingley talking about Lizzie and Darcy being like, yeah, she's not that cute. And yeah. I was like, that's... I wrote in my notes, like, did he just, like, accidentally neg her? And, like, she... she and she... Fell for it? She 100% went for it? She took the bait? This is a pickup artist, like, handbook, just in disguise. Like, that's next level stuff, like, making it look like you don't even know she's there. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. My theories on this. Please. I'm all ears. Um, let's see, where to start. So, number one, I think 
the story in general, why it has lasted so long, I think a big part of it that we haven't talked about yet, the way, the structure of Jane Austen's stories in general is very, it's kind of episodic. There's these big mm-hmm. tentpole moments throughout the story. So you, for me, having read the novel several times, having seen the movie and different adaptations several times, there's different moments you know you're leading up to in a sequence. So mm-hmm. you're like, oh, okay, this is when she's about to run into Darcy at his estate and there's going to be this whole moment. That was another part of the film that I thought was really cool was like mm-hmm. at Darcy's estate. Oh, that rack focus? Well, not the rack focus. Uh-huh. They paid an awful lot of attention to like the human form in artwork. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I was very, and so much so that I was like, okay, I can take no nothing else away from this other mm-hmm. than that Lizzie is horny as <laughs> hell. There's a lot of like sexuality, at least in the this film version, I think. Yeah, that scene in particular, just like really just wallowing in like the it. nude uh, uh, statuary <laughs> and uh, paintings and things like that. I was like, there is, I, I can read no nothing else into this particular scene. This is like very glaring in your face stuff. That's a good way to read because there is just like a long sequence of her looking at statues. Just that's nude kind statues, of like, yeah, that's which it. Why there is one of the statues that is not nude. It is like one of the most beautiful sculptures I've ever seen, With and the veil? I've never seen it. Yes, yeah. in real life. How do they do that? It's a veil. But made out of stone. And you can, like, see her face through the veil. Takes but it's made a, takes out of stone. Takes a good eye. Takes a good eye. Oh, I, I don't even know what it takes. I don't even know where to start with that. <laughs> but anyway, so going back to my point. Please. I've heard an anecdote about James Patterson once before. Someone who used to work with him was sitting next to him on a plane. And he apparently had the epiphany of, like, to write a good popcorn fiction novel, you need a cliffhanger at the end of every chapter. A short chapter with a cliffhanger at the end. Okay. And that sense. is the I believe it's Jane Patterson. I'm afraid I'm like misattributing. Sure. Yeah. It's it's now it's ingrained in the culture, but it's something like that where James Patterson can write a billion books and still have them sell because he has this formula that just really appeals to people. Mm-hmm. I think there's something similar with Jane Austen. The where candy it's... crush of novels, if you will. <laughs> Fair enough. But Gotta um, keep going. put that on the back of his book cover. <laughs> um, I think Jane Austen has something similar where she has these sequences and moments. It's very episodic. It changes scenes mm-hmm. several times throughout the book. Right. And each of those scenes has kind of a climax. You know, if you were to track the story, you'd have a lot of little peaks kind of. Right, I right, think, right, yeah. I think that is just, it's really enjoyable as far as a story structure. So I think that's part of it. There's a couple tropes that she possibly invented and probably does the best. The brooding guy, that is just a thing. So yeah. that that guy who's like brooding and you can't, you maybe don't get along with him. You guys kind of fight and there's like, there's that kind of chemistry, which is still chemistry. Like there's still that kind of fiery whatever, but you can't really get what he's thinking. That is totally a romantic trope. Yeah, well, it is. And I... I'm just going to expand my question here and let you continue. But, like, okay, so Jane Austen did that mm-hmm. here. I assume she's done it in other of her works as well. I would guess more or less exploring that type of romantic interest. And, like, Charlotte Bronte did the same thing in Wuthering Heights, basically. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, a book that I also didn't read, but I read the Cliff Notes. But I've like, seen the Tom Hardy version, which I meant to put in our um, in our similar movies. If you like this, watch the Tom Hardy miniseries. Watch anything with Tom Hardy. I endorse that one, 100%. He actually married the romantic... Le- the, um... What is it, Catherine? What's uh, the... From Wuthering Heights? 
They're actually married in real life, which makes it so much better. Yeah. Anyway, go anyway, on. Anyway, no, just like, uh, the, oh, clearly this is something that, like, I don't think had its roots in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, I, it's something that eludes me as to why this is such, like, a popular character type to be a, a target of interest in, in romance fiction. It's the mystery. It's the... I guess. I don't it's know. It's that, like, you don't really know what he's thinking, but when he finally tells you, it's that... He's been in love with you this whole time. Like, that. that is... The dark scary. secret is that he's been in love with you the whole time. Not, it's, the dark secret is never, like, I killed a man in Ireland or something like Maybe that. Maybe both. Poor K. No Dos. Right, but, whatever. like, I, yeah. I mean, this, it's that mystery of... <laughs> this may just be because my dad was a cop, but, like, for me, like, oh the dark mystery never has a good outcome, <laughs> in my experience. I mean, it's never... It's one of those things that only works in fiction, and then this probably plays into the whole, like, uh, like, the unrealistic expectations for romance, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, there's also that kind of love-hate. Yeah, it, both of those things, I think, have... This is one of the originals. This is one of the stories that does it the best. Twilight, I think, probably really emulated Pride and Prejudice. It's a very similar type of appeal. And you saw how well Twilight and then Fifty Shades of Grey did. It's, it is... There's just a... There's something just very digestible and very craveable about it. Hmm. In terms of culture. All right. Yep. You know, it's funny because like right before, like literally right before I watched this movie, just on mm-hmm. a whim, because somebody recommended it to me a long time ago, and because Red I had a Twilight. lot. Of, no, yep. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I read the on whole Twilight <laughs> one afternoon. The I whole read, Twilight. The whole. I read all the Twilight. Get with it. I read all the Twilight. No, but um, I watched the um, I watched the movie Secretary with uh, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Oh. Um. It, it's it's um. I've never seen Fifty Shades of Grey or read the book, but. This is like a more probably grounded in reality version of that wow. where basically a woman enters into like a relationship with her boss that is based strictly on like I was going to say like S&M but it's really literally just spanking. Uh-huh. It's weird. It's it's odd but in an it, it, I don't know. It was it weirdly influenced the way that I watched this movie. Oh my god, how? Well, I mean, you can't watch one two movies back to back and not have the first one influence sure. the way you see the second I one. Just, that, but I was I just like, like comparing like big... these two like odd Sort of, well, because I was aware, obviously, of Fifty Shades of Grey being, uh-huh. like, a thing, uh-huh. and, like, I never had any interest in that, but it was, it's uh... a safe space, you, you can know, say what, what you want. Whatever. No, but, like, I watched this movie, Secretary, which is kind of, like, an independent movie from, like, 2002, I uh, think, okay. and I was just like, man, these, like, even this movie that has seemingly nothing to do with Pride and Prejudice still, like, follows that same root trope mm-hmm. of, like... Oh man, this guy! I, 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 you know, he's so he's so odd and like distasteful, and yet I can't get him out of my mind. And oh my god, he's perfect for me. Like <laughs> that is like the summary of uh-huh. like even the most seemingly dissimilar romance stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, more than two hundred years later now, um, and that's that's something that's just like fascinating to me. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like you can just rinse and repeat this exact formula with slightly different furniture, and it's just. It's it still works and it still clicks with people. It's I think it's the manic pixie dream girl of of female mm. kind of fantasy fulfillment. Like it it's just that like there's something about it that really appeals that guy that's going to come in and you know you're going to fight, you're going to have your independence but you both are just kind of what the other person needs. Yeah. Good you know, point. in a similar way to the the whole manic pixie like She's just going to come in and save you because she's so quirky and she's just like this cute little thing that you can kind of protect and take care of. And, and he's so yeah. rich and he's so attractive and he, and, mean, he, and, he's, and he's too off-putting for any other women to be attracted to him. Yeah, like, get him out of here. 
Um, yeah, something. I mean, it doesn't. There's not a lot of rationale to it. I think it's there's just something. It's, I mean, I think we nailed it at the top of this episode. Is like it's it's fantasy fulfillment. Like that's yeah. what, and it's we just it, wasted 53 minutes of your time. You <laughs> could have gotten that from the beginning. Fair enough. Yeah. But yeah, okay. okay. Anything else? Any other questions or moments that stood out to you? Um, not really. I mean, again, I feel like it. This film does function really well as a full package. I mean, it's kind of impossible not to have any prior knowledge about the story, but right. it's so simple. Like, another thing you would ask me is if it was hard to follow. Yes, but no. Like, yeah. the details were hard to keep track of, but honestly, it's like, you, you get it. You, yeah. you can kind of follow along. And I do think the movie does a good job of, of interpreting it. Right. But, well, if that's it, then... Uh... What about next week, Kyle? All right, the envelope, please. Let's Ooh, see here. A literal envelope. He's pulling out a piece of paper if you can't hear that Foley work going on. All right, so again, with our following our recent experiment of like kind of giving putting you in the driver's seat. Okay, oh. so for next week, do you want to watch a fictional showbiz uh, life story starring John C. Riley, uh, a 1980s pastiche mm-hmm. from the 2010s, or a loving comedic imitation of bad movies. Oh goodness! I know these are very specific categories. Yeah, I I think I know what the first one is. Oh, there's two for each of these, by the way. What? Oh my god, your flowcharts are way more intense than mine. Um, I'm not good at a lot, but I'm usually good at <laughs> things that are not useful in real life. Let's do an imitation of bad movies. Ooh, okay. Um, and these are both comedies, so they'll that's that's fun. Not um, a dramatic imitation of bad movies. N- right, exactly. Which would be an interesting thing, I yeah. think, probably. A thrilling um, adaptation. You want to watch a total goofball comedy or something that's actually based on a true story? Uh, let's do based on a true story. Oh, cool. Excellent. All right. So this is the story of an auteur who is uh, maybe not fully appreciated in his own time or in any time. <laughs> um, and yet there is just something about him that he he has a such an enthusiasm for his work and such a joie de vivre and nothing mm. like he never lets the man get him down that just makes him just so gosh darn likable okay. and you know uh, it's it's a kind of a departure from the director and I think one of his finest films and also one of the lead actor's finest films mm-hmm. as well Kay have you seen Ed Wood. Yes! I was hoping it was going to be Ed Wood. Uh, I have not seen Ed Wood. I've wanted to see it for a long time, so I'm really excited. Fantastic. Well, I'm kind of excited, again, that you picked this one because uh, it's one that I haven't watched in a long time, but I highly recommend it, folks, if you are watching along with us at home. This is one that is well worth your time. It is a Tim Burton film starring Johnny Depp back before both of them got terrible, and... Um, yeah, it's it's a strange story, but it's a lot of fun. Never takes itself too seriously, um, but clearly has a lot of affection for its subject matter. So yes, Ed Wood for next week. Awesome. Well, there's nothing else. Nothing Thanks else. for listening. We'll catch you next week. I'm Kari. I'm Kyle. And this is Kay. Have you seen? Bye. Bye. <laughs>